This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And Mike Fires has thrown his second no-hitter. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Goal for Yelich! Tony Bellinger hits one out. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From the opener to launch angles to clutch moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Josh Bagley, what would happen in today's uh, baseball if a pitcher threw 169 pitches? That might be like a three-week vacation after that start, <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, just just IL him to get a new guy so we can rest him. I mean, it's unbelievable the workload that these pitchers had years ago. And the one thing I asked him, and, of course, you, you, you're the guy that's got to help pitchers get through games, is less and less – are we seeing, especially, I don't even think with this start when you were in the minor leagues, it's really right now. These guys pitch so little, they don't really learn how to pitch out of jams, right? It's like throw as hard as you can for five innings and, and you're out. Have Did you see that in your minor league career, or is that something that is more new from when you were in the minors? Well, I feel like um, in the minors, they're developing. Um, they've got guys they need to get on the mound that night. Like, you know, we've got four relievers that need to throw tonight, so you're going five. Um, I feel like uh, you say not being able to pitch out of jams. I just feel like they're pretty good at pitching themselves into jams, maybe quite often. But, um, yeah, it's just it, times are changing, and, and the, the bullpens are super strong now, the, very weighted in that department. So the starters are, you know, less and less having to go deeper in games. You know, everybody wants to talk about your offense right now, and we will because we should. But I want to talk about your defense. From the standpoint of, for you, there has to be so much studying going on into a series like this. Like you mentioned, all the guys that are coming out. We have a record number of bullpen guys coming out. That means you have to be ready for each guy that night and studying the other team's hitters. How much studying do you do? I mean, we're looking at those reports. You know, we have meetings every day, uh, you know, with the starter. On the lineup, um, you know, we haven't seen these guys since April, so we had an advanced meeting. We went over every one of their hitters, um, you know, how to pitch them left versus left versus right. Um, and, yeah, we're expected to know that. I go out there with a the wristband with the notes on it, too, during the game. So um, the information is always there. It's a ton of information, but then you also have to know your pitcher, and don't you have to know what makes him tick? Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, there is quite a bit of studying going on. However, your bullpen guys are there because of their stuff, and they know how to pitch. They know what they want to do. So a lot of it, a lot of it is just pitching their game. You know, you, you talk about a guy like uh, Petit who comes in and 
he he knows what he wants to do. He knows what pitches are effective, and he, he pitches the same pretty much every time. So uh, he knows the reports as well. He knows where to go. Um, you know, he doesn't throw in a lot, but when the report says to throw this guy in, he, he does. Um, but, you know, those guys are they're specialized in what they do, so we throw their game. We stick to their strengths. We see more shifting now than ever before, and now we're seeing the shifting on right-handed hitters. As a catcher, when you're calling the game and you're, and you're throwing down the signs, are you thinking about way, the way you want the pitcher to throw and also what the defense is doing behind him? Um, I feel like, you know, we pitch them, you know, to the pitcher's strengths and, you know, away from some of the hitter's tendencies. And, you know, the hitter's going to hit the ball where he usually hits it. And so, you know, the scouting department does their job of we're going to shift because this is where the guy usually hits the ball. You know, it's not because we're shifted to the left, so we're going to pitch him in to make sure he hits it to the left. That's just what he does, you know, when we, you know, throw off speed down and away. He gets out front and pulls it or, you know, it's kind of – you know, our game doesn't really change. Uh, the defense shifts to accommodate, you know, our plan and how, how we pitch guys. And let's get to you throwing the baseball. You're having a fantastic year throwing the baseball. How are you feeling? feel good. feel great. I feel like um, that's been one of my strongest assets, uh, you know, in my career as a catcher and my strong arm and being accurate. And that's the part I think I enjoy the most, throwing guys out. And, you know, that's an out. You know, if the pitchers can give me a time and, uh, you know, the, the, the runner's not too fast and gets a good jump, uh, I can get us some free outs that way. So I enjoy that a lot. I've kind of enjoyed watching you throw the baseball and watching guys challenge you. It's a little – I mean, we got to a point where we weren't seeing anybody steal bases, right? No one was trying to steal ba- – it's been fun this year seeing that and seeing the success that you've had. Yeah, and that happens a lot where, you know, I'm, if I'm throwing the ball well, the guys just don't steal unless – they can, you know, maybe get off of a, a slower time from the pitcher. And, and a lot of times our pitchers, um, especially late in the game, some of our bullpen guys, it's more important for us, for them to execute their pitches than to slide step and be quick, you know, and leave stuff up in the zone. So they'll, they'll go through a stretch where no one runs unless they can for sure get it, and I'm not throwing them out, and, and then it's, it's kind of frustrating. But I, I just keep the thought in the back of my head that when guys aren't running, I'm doing my job. You know, I'm keeping them at first. They know I can throw, um, and that keeps the double plays in line, keeps guys out of scoring position. How much right now your success this year is just based on you're healthy? (laughs) A lot. A lot. I feel like um, you can't be successful if you're not in the game. And, you know, getting those consistent at-bats, getting, you know, consistent time behind the plate, you know, I'm throwing the ball well, catching well. Um, having success at the plate, um, you know, that just comes from repetitions and getting used to the time, and and you can't do that when you're hurt. And, you know, I've gone through some ups and downs. Um, I've been healthy and not played. I've been, you know, unhealthy and not played. It's it's kind of – it's been a roller coaster ride, but um, that's staying healthy is the name of the game. The best ability, availability. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and you've had Absolutely. it this year. You're third in catchers right now in RBIs. And everybody's been praising you a lot on your offense. I want to get to your play calling and your defense because I know uh, catchers, that's the thing that means most. The the offense is really, you know, it's the icing on the cake. But talk about what's been different for you this year. I know you made an adjustment in the offseason. What, what's really led to this this uh, start for you offensively? Yeah, I mean, I, I made some minor adjustments just to kind of be in the zone easier, um, not be so rotational. And I think my swing is, you know, I, I – 
if you want to get into the numbers, I think, you know, my fly ball rate is up and I'm not grounding out as much. And, you know, when you get rotational and pull-off pitches, anything off speed, you're just going to roll soft to the left side. And I've done that a lot in my career. But um, there's also that confidence where if I don't feel right, you know, today and I, I have some bad at-bats, I can make an adjustment. I know I'm going to get another crack tomorrow. And it's it's not something I have to dwell on and, and, and try to figure out for three, four days. And then, all right, I've got three at-bats to prove that, you know, I, I've got it back in sync and then it happens to not be there, and then I've got three or four more days to think about it. and So it's it's just being consistent and, and getting a feel for the game, as well as, as seeing a lot more pitches. You know, I'm seeing, you know, a lot of sliders, so it's easier for me to kind of take those down and away when I see, you know, 30 a week instead of four. So, um, you know, I- anybody's going to get better with more playing time, and I feel like uh, I've had some success this year. Yeah, sometimes you just really need that shot, and people just don't understand. It's like like you play on Monday, and now you don't come back and play till Friday. I mean, that that this game is too hard to really do that to have great success. And obviously with you being healthy and getting off to a hot start, you've earned everything you've gotten this year. And I think one of the, one of the things that's got to be really good for you and special is that the man that's running this ball club is a catcher, too, in Bob Melvin. So there has to be that special relationship there. Yeah, he's got a great understanding of what's going on and, and what it takes to be back there day in and day out. And, you know, he's asking, you know, how are you feeling? Do, you know, do you want to go the day game or the night game, that kind of stuff? Like, how do you feel? And, like, he, he understands the grind and, and the toll that takes on the body. So um, as well as, you know, in years past when I was the backup, he know you know, he was the backup sometime and um, – he knows, hey, it's tough to hit like that, you know, when you're going in and having good at-bats and grinding it out, you know, just keep keep pressing. So um, nobody better to play for. Let's end on this. The bullpen numbers from last year to this year dramatically different. But I'm trying to tell everybody on the post-game show, Trinan's still throwing the same stuff. Trevino's still throwing the same. Like, like the velocity and the movement and that stuff – is there a difference in what you've seen from the back of the bullpen, or is their stuff pretty much still the same? Well, I mean, you know, just like hitters, you know, you can still swing as hard as you're normally swinging, but something out of, you know, a little thing, a little tick here, a little tick there that's off can change, you know, the way y- your pitches play. And I feel like, um, you know, for – I feel like Lou Trevino's a, a hot topic right now, and, and you know, he can tell you right now that his fastball isn't playing the way it normally does. The velocity is there. But some of the, you know, some of the ride deception, um, you know, his cutter, it's just as hard as it normally is, but the shape is a little different. And sometimes that, you know, his pitches complement each other. You know, his cutter looks like his fastball the whole way and then takes off. Normally, you know, it, it has a little different shape right now. And I think just like anyone else on the field, you know, you can go into these ups and downs, these slumps where you're kind of, you're just a tick off mechanically and it can change the way your stuff plays. So, um that's baseball, and I feel like none of us are, are worried about those guys. They're our horses. They've been our horses. Um, we feel confident when they're on the field every time, and, and I know they're going through some ups and downs, but um, that, that'll pass soon. We appreciate you stopping by. It's great to have guys coming right from the batting cage. This is really cool, as, uh, and it's, a, it's an experience that baseball fans have never had before. So we appreciate the time. Keep doing what you're doing because defensively, offensively, you've been fantastic this year. We've been rooting for you. And help this team get on that hot start we normally see the A's get on in June. It's about that time, I think. It's about that time. Scott Emerson, the pitching coach of the Oakland Athletics, joining us here on A's Cast Live. Hey, thanks for having me, Tom. And you're uh, 
This is what you should have. If you weren't pitching coach and you weren't pro ball, this is what you'd be. You'd be in radio. Well, I like to talk. You know, I, I got no problem talking. But, uh, you know, what you guys do every day is you get, to, you get to see the game. You get to analyze it from a different perspective. And, uh, you know, what we do is we analyze it continuously. And, that, you know, that's a, that's a tough job in itself. But sometimes you, you want to do that uh, backseat quarterback and, and analyze it from the day before. And, and, you know, as a coach, you do a lot of that and seeing how we can, uh, you know, fix our pitchers or what we did wrong or what we did right. We, we can't forget the things that we are doing right, you know, just as much as we are trying to fix the problems that sometimes that occur. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, and, uh, you know, Radio and TV might be in my future at some point in time. <laughs> <laughs> well, like yesterday, like I, yesterday's loss just, it upset me. And I went off on the postgame show yesterday, and it was like, and I got to think, if I feel this way, how are you feeling after a tough loss as a pitching coach? Yeah, the, you know, no one wants to lose baseball games. You know, you just go home and, and uh, you know, I can't wipe it off. You know, I, I got to try to uh, figure out a, a – uh, solution to the problem I'll, I'll ask why and that's one thing you know maybe I take it too hard too much but you know we all want to win and we w- want to get the players to reach their maximum potential so each and every day uh, losses hurt but you, you do it on wins too you go home and you think about the wins you think about the losses and you just want to try to better the players uh, each and every day which in return will better the team each pitcher is different each guy whether it's starters it's relievers what makes them tick? How important is it for you to be able to get in between their ears and in their mind to really figure out how to make each guy better? Well, we got uh, you know 13 pitchers here, 13 different corporations. That's the way I see it. And I, you know, I tell the pitchers, I don't work for you, you don't work for me. We work together. And at the end of the day, our goal is for them to reach their maximum potential. So each each guy has a different drop down menu per se. And you, you check the boxes in different ways for every pitcher. Some guys you got to be a little tougher on. Some guys you got to be a little bit easier on. Some guys you can't give too much information. You just got to try to find to develop that relationship with each and every pitcher. See how they all tick, and and go from there. And that's the interesting part of the job, you know. And there there are 13 different people, 13 different personalities, and you know we have certain guidelines that we like to have. But nothing's, you know, black and white. You know, you got to have that gray area when you're dealing with 13 different people, 13 different pitchers, and 13 different personalities. Frankie Montas, it's just like everything in his life has come together at the right time. Married, child, split finger, you know, like everything is just, what have you seen with your right-hander where he's just turned into be a really special guy for you? Well, what we were talking about uh, off the air, it, you know, what comes first, the, the, the results or the confidence. You know, once you gain results and, and you can see them, you're going to start gaining some confidence. Uh, you know, everybody's talked about the split finger, and, and we've been working on that for a little over a year now. But the fastball command to both sides of the plate, the movement at 97 miles an hour, and uh, his slider velocity has increased as well. So you got something breaking away from a right-hander. You got something moving down and in from a right-hander, whether it be the split finger at 90 or the fastball at 97. And then, you know, we're incorporating some four-seamers at the top of the zone. You know, the game's moving to more top-of-the-zone fastballs. But when you got guys with good plus sync that we have on this team, you can't avoid them throwing and change everything in one season. You know, Frankie's... That's his game. That's been his game. Uh, we know that uh, the four-seam fastball 
is going to play into his game at some point in time in his career, and we'll kind of wait to see how many he starts throwing here in the next few years. But, um, you know, I think he's taken off and, and the confidence, and he's seeing that he belongs here. You know, I, I always say, you know, give pitcher – Give a major league pitcher 55, 60 starts and let them feel themselves around the league a little bit before you really make a big evaluation on them. And now it's time where, you know, we can see what he's doing. And it's it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. We'll see what he does the rest of the year and we'll move on from there. Yeah, you mentioned pitching up in the zone. It's, it's, it's the way we were taught to play baseball back in the day. We were taught as pitchers to live down in the zone, build your house down in the zone as hitters. We were taught to hit everything back up the middle, but now there's a defender playing there. It's like things have changed so much in what we've taught these athletes to do, and the game the game just keeps evolving. Yeah, you know uh, the one the one pitch that I still love is the changeup. You know, if hitting is time and pitching is disruption of timing, so if we can disrupt the timing of the hitter, we can disrupt the the quote unquote launch angle. You know, these guys want the ball down so they can elevate it. But you're seeing a lot of guys, especially young kids nowadays, uh, are being, te- uh, being taught this launch angle swing, and it's really not a swing, it's an approach. You know, if you, you listen to the good hitting coaches, which in my opinion we have the best one in the league in Darren Bush, you know, we, we have an incredible launch angle per se as, as a unit, but he's not in there preaching swing up to the baseball, you know. He, you know, stay in your legs, get down through it, short to it, long through it, whatever the hitting guys to talk about. But... Um, you know, I, I see a lot of kids and a lot of guys come into professional baseball and they create this this uphill swing and they're late and they're tardy. So that's why the pitching is decided, all right, if you're going to be late and you're tardy and long and you're up through the ball, we're going to pitch at the top of the strike zone. So, you know, that's what we're seeing a lot of pitchers do. But when you have guys like the Montases, the uh, Trevinos and the Trainins and, and they got good velo, it doesn't really matter where they pitch as long as they're disrupting the timing of the hitter and being unpredictable. Can a guy that has that kind of great stuff get into his own head and start thinking about all these different pitches that he can throw and you can just look at him and go, you throw 98, your cutter's 94, get on the mound and just attack. Well, the, the, uh, the evolution of um, technology is changing a lot of pitchers, some for the better and some for the worse. You know, you, you got a guy, you know, you got the, 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 the track man technology, the rap soto technology that tells you your spin rates and your, your movements, your horizontal break, your vertical break. And, and sometimes it's hard to go from great to, to, to greater, you know. The good pitchers generally can do whatever they want in the big leagues. And, and when you have an average pitcher trying to do too much, he gets in trouble. And not enough, he can get in trouble. So you got to watch the technology. you still got to be able to throw the baseball for strikes. This, this game, you know, I'm, I'm called a pitching coach for a reason. I'm not a throwing coach. So a lot of kids get into pro ball because of velocity, and they think velocity is the key to pitching, but it's not. Pitching is location, change of speeds, movement and then velocity if i can do all those things before the velocity i'm gonna be pretty good if i can do two with two or two out of three at least i'm gonna be pretty good but the foundation starts with strike one you got to be able to throw strikes then you got to be able to move your baseball around with the fastball the power of the fastball we're losing we're losing that and that's why these games are taking forever because everybody's pitching to swing and miss but if you can locate your fastball and throw timely breaking balls with good change-ups You'll get the balls in play, and then when you get the two strikes, you'll punch guys out. So, you know, Frankie's a great example. We're, we're, he's changing speeds now. He's mixing in three pitches. So what, what's happened with his stuff? He's gotten better results, more swing and miss, 
more strikeouts, and he's done a heck of a job. And the one thing, like you think of Brett Anderson as someone who pitches to contact, it's like to tell young pitchers, listen, if you're up there going 3-2 on every count, trying to strike somebody out, these guys are all going to be sitting back on their heels. But if you're getting contact early, you're getting balls on the ground, it's going to be so much better for your defense. You keep them in rhythm and you keep them in the game. Is it hard to get guys to buy into that? Well, it, you know, as they come up through this generation of strikeouts, get, get you paid. You know, that, that's the one thing that, you know, a lot of pitchers are thinking about. But, you know, when I turn around and I look and we got Matt Chapman, Marcus Simeon, Profar and Matt Olson playing the infield, and three of those guys last year were in the running for the gold glove. Hey, I'm going to try to get the ball on the ground some, you know, and then when I get the two strikes, I want to punch you out. But, uh, you know, pitching to contact is, is, is awesome, but in reality, you want to pitch the soft contact, and that's where I'm talking about with the separation of the fastball and the changeup and, and the breaking ball when needed. And I'll keep saying this till I go to my grave. If, if hitting's timing, pitching is disruption of timing, I want to disrupt the timing of the hitter, move the ball in and out, up and down, back and forth. I want to be able to do it all here in the big leagues, be unpredictable. And when we do that, we get soft contact. And when we get soft contact, we get the ball on the ground, and we get the game moving along. The baseball is different. So many people think it is. What's your opinion on the baseball today? Well, uh, you know, the, the – the, the ball seems to be different. I don't know whether it is, but, you know, the mud we put on the ball, in my opinion, has been a little inconsistent. I don't know when guys are rubbing up the baseball. Some of the guys complain that the ball is like a cue ball or it's too chalky. But let's talk about the bats. Let's talk about the ash wood. Let's talk about how hard these baseball bats are. Let's talk about breaking bags. Hey, I, I, I'll be the first to tell you that my best pitch was my pickoff move. I'll tell you that right now. But I broke five, six bats a game. That's, going, not, that's not good. That's not good. <laughs> that's why I was coaching at 28 years old. Uh, you know, but I will tell you, even even me, a, 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 a soft toss and lefty, per se, if you want to say 88 to 92 is soft, then I was soft. But I broke five or six bats a game. I don't see five or six bats a game breaking in the, in the big leagues too often. I mean, the guys yesterday, we had a bat blow up in like three or four pieces, and they were amazed at how bad that bat blew up. And I'm like, man, we blew those bats up all the time 20, 30 years ago. So, you know, I think the bats are harder. Uh, the baseballs, for me, they seem a little bit harder, and the seams aren't that high. Um, but when, when you're hitting a hard bat, it's almost like hitting with aluminum. You know, balls are going to go farther. We're seeing it at the big league level. We're now seeing it at the AAA level because they're using the big league ball. Home runs are flying out at a record rate. So it's it's got to be something. Well, I'd, I'd be interested in, in people talking about the bats more than the ball. I'll explore that because I've been exploring the ball. I didn't think about that. What do you think? It's the, the way they stain the bats or making them harder? Well, I think, you know, uh, from what I understand, uh, ash wood's harder than maple, right? So, uh, or harder than whatever wood they use. So maybe there, there's a, a reason for all this. Uh, it, it could be in the bat. I'll start looking into it. Hey, That's what I do. <laughs> I got hours every day to figure it out. Let's figure it out. Let's end on this. What's your favorite thing about your job? Uh, just just watching guys go out and compete every day. Uh, you know, I, I love coming to the yard and watching pitching and watching guys create their 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 day out there on the mound. Um, you know, I have a lot of fun just sitting back, enjoying the moment, watching these guys, and hopefully contributing to their day. Um, you know, I'm there for them. I want them to succeed. Uh, obviously, we want to win baseball games for the organization. We got a great organization, and. Uh, 
you know, sometimes the tough part is sometimes you got to be dad and, and give a dose of reality to some guys and, and let them know how, how we're feeling. But, you know, we got a great group of guys. I'm telling you, these guys work hard every day. You know, you show up at, at noon and, and the players get here a little bit after and they're in the weight room doing their stuff with Josh Cuffey and in the training room with Nick Paparesta and doing their stuff. And you don't have to beg for them to work. And, and that's the best part of the job is you don't have to beg for them to work. You got an ear for them. You're, you're watching the video with them and for them and trying to help them out in any way you can. But sometimes good coaching is, is sitting back and per se no coaching. You know, I, I, like to, I like to let the players come to me a little bit. When I got to go to them, I'm going to go to them. But, you know, I see a lot of overcoaching. These guys are here for a reason because they're good. And, you know, we got to keep them good. And uh, I just enjoy these guys coming out there and, and, and throwing a rock around the mound and, and throwing strikes and, and putting hitters away. And it's a lot of fun when we're pitching good. You know, I read that scouting report. It did say one hell of a pickoff move. One heck of a pickoff <laughs> move. And it's probably on the Internet somewhere, soft, soft, and lefty. How can, a, how can a guy your size be your size being a soft off and left? I don't know. I kind of make it up, but uh, I like to. I like to, if you can't bag on yourself, who you, you can't bag on anybody else. But you know, one thing that we need to explore too, and, and if you've seen the movie The Fastball, I don't know if you've seen that movie. Yeah, really, really good movie. But how the velocity is now uh, calculated? It's at 55 feet. So once the ball gets from 55 feet from the front edge of home plate, they measure their, or they. They put it on time. So, you know, we had these old radar guns where these scouts had to hold it with like a bazooka and, and, and it was plugged into a wall or something and, and that's how they got the velocities. And nowadays, you know, I got a little pocket radar thing that's the size of a cell phone that can give me some velos and I think they run a little hot. So, you know, all the guys that say uh, that they're throwing at 95 to 100, maybe a few years ago under those radar guns might not be that hot. I wish those guns would have been hot when I was in college because they weren't giving no it. Maxing out at 88, 89 for a 510 right-hander, <laughs> no chance. Hey, you're the best. Thank you for coming out. And uh, let's get the this June thing that normally happens with the A's where they start, start to get hot. Let's start that going tonight. Let's get it rolling. Emo, you're the best, my friend. I appreciate it. Scott Emerson, the pitching coach for your Oakland Athletics. Commander Cody, we got one minute left. What a show this has been. Jim Palmer was out. We were talking to him about jockey. I grew up an Oriole fan. I was born in Baltimore, so I watched Jim Palmer a lot. And, uh, you know, if you know, watching the, the Orioles, you know, I like kicking their butts, by the yeah. way. But, uh, you know, that, that's probably my second favorite team in the big leagues. Just because I grew up an Orioles fan, I was drafted by them and signed with them. But uh, let's go out and get them tonight. Mark Canna is going to join us here as we are live here, A's cast live from the field. This is one of the great things about it, having this access, is having somebody have BP walk over, do a little infield where you don't What's see up? this in every park. What's up, Mark? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Just another day at the yard. Another day at the office. Another beautiful day, as we have a beautiful day here at the Coliseum. Yeah, until 6 o'clock. But, yeah, <laughs> it starts getting freezing cold, and I put on a mask. When did you come up with the idea to go with to go with the burglar mask? Um, I think it must have been May or June of last year when uh, I noticed it was particularly breezy during batting practice, and uh, – Saw it was going to be about 53 degrees and with some wind chill and 
I'm, I'm not a big fan of being cold while I'm playing. So I just I said, I'm wearing a mask tonight. I don't care what anybody thinks. I think <laughs> it's brilliant. Because I, I, there'll be times I'm sitting up the press box and you close it because it's the wind. Because yeah. people don't really realize, depending where you are, how it just swirls inside the bowl now ever since Mount Davis. Why the hell yeah. would you want to sit out there all game long and freeze? It's pretty miserable. And uh, at this point, it's for me, it's like half being warm and comfortable while I'm playing and half to annoy the people that don't like it even more. It's like uh, get joy out of that, believe it or not. So, like, the people that criticize me on Twitter and are like, oh, why is he wearing a mask when it's 55 degrees? Gotcha right where I want you. You know one of the great things about you? You're like an undercover kind of guy that uh, has no problem making people angry. Oh, no. I mean, well, I, I, it's not my goal, I would say. I, I would rather make people happy, but uh, I don't I don't mind, uh, you know, just being myself. We'll say that much. An undercover rebel is what yeah, you are. Yeah, maybe a little bit. You know, the bat flips. How about, you know, I had to ask you, we haven't talked to you about it yet, but in Texas when they were getting mad at the, and that really wasn't, I mean, for bat flips at a scale of one to ten, that's a one. Were you yeah. surprised that Samson or anybody was like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah, I, yeah, I was. Um, that, by the way, got no media coverage at all, hardly ever. Maybe like our, you know, our own beat writers covered, talked about it a little bit. Susan covered it. Um, Susan Slusser, that is. Uh, but then the very next day was the Bumgarner, uh, Max Muncy thing, and that was all over the TV. You couldn't get it, and the same thing happened literally the night before in our game. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean that was nothing for me. I, I told Susan, I said, you know, wait till he sees my next homer off of him. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean next one has got to be like a Joey I, Bats. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you haven't seen nothing yet. I, it does it surprise you because. We say all the time, let the kids play, let's have fun. Does this surprise you? There's still, most guys don't have a problem with it, but there yeah. are still some guys. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a product of, like, when you came into the game and your own, I think we're all a product of our environment. And, and you know, just when you grew up playing baseball, what were the people around you saying about that type of stuff? And, uh, you know, I was always a punk kid. Messing around, playing wiffle ball, and we're showing each other up and wiffle ball, and and it's you know, it's just it's just my be me being myself and me, and that's you know getting the enjoyment out of the game, and you know I don't I don't see what's wrong with when you hit a home run saying you know look at me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I mean there's a fine line, obviously. I think I don't, and I don't think I've ever crossed it, but um, yeah, I mean I think you gotta you gotta just. Be comfortable in your own skin. And I don't think Muncie did either. Yeah, Muncie didn't. Uh, you know, that's what that's what he does. He kind of – he just puts some swag on it, and that's his style. And he, he hit it, and I think he just, like, kind of put his head down and walked a couple steps. And, you know, people are, people are going to get offended. But, you know, like, I kind of like what Bumgarner said too. It's just like, well, I'm going to get mad. He's going to do his thing. Let's just – move on our separate ways and, and move forward. So, I mean, you know, I think it's good for baseball. No doubt. And, and 
Remember back to the A's of the late 80s and early 90s when, I mean, Canseco or Ricky or, 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 or <laughs> yeah, McGuire. Ricky is popping the collar. Right? Yeah, he's popping yeah, that. I mean, Canseco would sit there. I mean, he wouldn't even move. He'd watch it go out and then start going. <laughs> so this is kind of a tradition here yeah. with the A's. Yeah, you got to have fun with it, man. you got to – it's a game at the end of the day. We're out here. I think we lose sight of, you know, why we play is to have fun sometimes. So – for me, that's what it's all about. It's just let me do my thing, and I'll let you do your thing. Where we are with this ball club is very similar record-wise to where the ball club was last year. And then all of a sudden, you know, this team took off, won 97 games. Are you starting to get the feeling like that about this team where you are right now? Yeah, I think we're – I think we know we're good, and I think we know that we're capable of, of doing that at any time. I think it's just a matter of uh, – locking it down and i think it's gonna happen it's you know i think we're gonna hit our stride any minute i just don't think you know don't i don't want to put too much pressure on it like we you know it's tough when you have like a deadline for when you have to win you know it's we call it the trade deadline but it's like oh you have to we have to do well before the trade deadline so you know i think we want to um I don't think we want to put too much pressure on it. Like we got to do it now because we we all know that date's coming up. I think we just got to kind of let it happen and and we'll hit our stride organically. But it certainly feels like we're doing good things out here. Yeah, I can't wait to see how this is going to play out. As we have no way we have no waiver wire yeah. process anymore. We we have a hard deadline. If you're going to fix your ball club or you're going to sell, you got to do it by the deadline. And there's been rumors that it could start earlier than in the past, so you could get a player. So. And it usually has been around here, especially since you've been here. You guys really dictate what the front office is going to do with the moves. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I think it's just uh, it's hard to argue with that statement. Um, I, I mean, I think we're a good team. I think the front office knows they have a good team on their hands here. And, and at the end of the day, you just have to decide, you know, what to do with it. And, uh, you know, we're making it a tough decision, I think. I think – It'd be it'd be nice to string some together. I, I like where we're what we're doing right now. So I think we're kind of uh, in the right where we want to be for for right now. I'd say. I marvel at what you and Chad Pender do, because you're not getting oh, at bats on a regular basis, and to then come in and have those at bats that you guys have, and to be productive the way you are, that's not easy to do. How do you do it? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I try to stay. I try to just do my process every day and, and kind of um, stay locked in with, with where I'm swinging the bat, whether I'm playing or not playing, and try to try to be smart about the way I'm working. And I think that um, probably only recently I've been really uh, kind of good at, like, taking game reps, thinking about approaches. On, on days when I'm not playing is, is still taking kind of like mental reps, I call it, and uh, – just kind of visualizing like okay if this were me right now what I what would I be doing in there what would be my approach off this guy what kind what am I visualizing where am I what am I trying to do with the ball am I trying to drive it to right center left center whatever um that way when you get in the game it feels a little bit less like you're walking on the moon like it kind of has in the past when uh you know early in my career I had never experienced playing quote-unquote part-time so um I guess it, there's certainly a learning curve with how to deal with that. 
It's called the mental side of baseball that a lot of fans don't think about. And, yeah. I, and I love when you talk about the visual, visualization and putting yourself in that moment so when that moment comes, the brain knows what to yeah. do because we all know every one of the guys in in, in, in in this clubhouse and in their clubhouse, both dugouts, everybody's great, everybody's super talented, but the game truly is in between the ears. Yeah, I mean, and there's a difference between just watching the game from the dugout and, and really being locked in and trying to imagine yourself at the plate right now and what that 96 looks like because it looks different even when you're just sitting in the dugout watching from a side angle, then when you're actually in there, you're like, okay, I remember that feeling of that ball getting on me and what I have to do to, to get to it. So um, it's, and it's just gearing all my work to, to being successful in, in those moments. So we've always said one of the things we, we, we love about you at the plate is you go up there to do damage. Mm -hmm. And I think about the higher velocity when did you really start to notice, and I asked uh, Marcus Simeon, who you've known for a very long time, I asked him this same question. When did you really start to notice, man, everybody's coming and throwing 97, 98? <laughs> um, yeah, probably 17, 2017, 18, I'd say. Uh, uh, definitely 17, I started noticing it. And uh, it became, it, it became like, you know, time to make an adjustment in how I approach baseball and how I approach the game just because of it's different. It's different when you have to catch up to 97 on 95 to 97 on a regular basis. So, um, and you, you mentioned trying to do damage, and I think it, it's counterintuitive because it doesn't mean I'm just going up there swinging as hard as I can. It's how do I do damage against this velocity, which oftentimes, often means for me, is to try to make my swing shorter and more efficient rather than trying to create bat speed. I think creating bat speed is a bad thought process for me because it makes me long and then I miss the ball. <laughs> so it's uh, once I, I think I've improved contact rate and I've improved uh, strike zone discipline too is the other thing that's huge. Once guys start throwing these exploding sliders and you know pitches and spin rate guys that can just really spin the ball um you really gotta i think narrow everything down a little bit and be a little more selective and once i did that contact goes up and for me whenever contact goes up power goes up with it you know it's kind of like positive correlation there so it's for me it's just like get good pitches to hit stay short and that's kind of a lot of it more more so than you you give credit to i think sometimes some guys are see ball hit ball yeah. Some guys want the numbers and they want the analytics and they want the data. Yeah. Where are you? Um, I, don't, I don't think the numbers help me. I'm, I'm more of a, of, I, I watch video and I like analyze the game myself. But for me, it's much more of a feel thing. Like, a, and I don't mean that with my swing. I just mean like kind of feeling out the pitcher. How does he pitch? What does he like to do? What's his kind of like personality like when he's on the mound? Is he like aggressive is he cocky with his fastball what how, you know how does he approach different hitters different counts you know kind of just getting a feel for the the rhythm of the game and how the game's going in and not so much like spin rate and all that i mean i think if i had those numbers i would 
<laughs> wouldn't know what to do with it. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, Don't change anything. We, we love exactly oh, you. how you play. <laughs> keep bat flipping Thanks, and keep doing it, and uh, hopefully get Thanks. on a run here, and uh, we'll be talking about the playoffs coming up. And we'll talk to you again soon. We always appreciate the time. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. Is good for Mike Fires, and he joins us here on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Mike, how you doing? I'm great. Just finished BP and uh, yeah, about to head inside and get some get some food. It's going to be an interesting series against these guys because it looks like you're going to be battling these guys all the way to the end for a playoff spot. Oh yeah, definitely a great team on the other side here this weekend, and um, it's just gonna it's gonna be a battle. But uh, you know we got to play sound sound baseball, and um, you know every little mistake could cost us a game. So we just got to be ready to go and um, you know play to our ability. I remember talking to you in spring training about being the, the veteran guy and being the leader of the staff. And then I talked to you on, on one of the road trips after your win. And, you know, they, you got off to a little bit of, of a bumpy start. And then you said, you know what, this isn't me. I, I'm better than this, and, and I'm going to be better. And right after that, you throw a no-hitter. And since then, you're 5-0 and in your last eight starts. So just take me through that transition of when you said, you know what, I'm better than this, and i got to turn it around right now. Uh, I think just every season you go into, uh, you're just trying to figure out you know, what, uh, what's working and what's not. And, you know, trial and error, you go out there every game and uh, you, you just see, uh, you know, what's being more effective than other pitches. And, um, you know, you, you deal with some stuff. You get, you know, get you have some kinks in there you're trying to work out. So, uh, you know, I'm in a good spot now. So you just want to take it and run with it and just keep doing what you're doing now. So, um, you know, for me, just going out there with the confidence and uh, throwing a bunch of strikes and, just trying to get off the field as quick as possible every inning and, and let my defense work behind me. And I think about pitching years ago, everybody, you got to live down. you got to build a house down in the zone. And now everybody wants to be up in the zone and throwing four-seam fastballs and living up. And that really plays to your game. It does. And as that's how I've pitched my whole career. Um, I've never been a guy to try to get ground balls. And, you know, I give up my fair share of homers, but – uh, you know, solo homers usually don't beat you in this game. So as long as I'm keeping those guys off the bases and making them earn their way on and um, just going after them and uh, just, just uh, you know, thinking, you know, maybe one or two runs, it's not going to beat you. So uh, just going after them. Hey, if they're swinging early, they get you one time with a homer or whatever. You just got to put it behind you, face the next guy. But, you know, limit the walks and uh, limit the free, the free passes and, Really just, like I said, just make them earn their way on base. Yeah, I like that you said that because Catfish Hunter, the Hall of Famer whose numbers retired up here on Mount Davis, number 27, always talked about with Ray Fossey, as long as they're solo home runs, it's <laughs> just one run. It's You're right. It's You can't give up the two-run, the three-run, or the grand slam. One home run is just one, was just one run. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, a lot of these guys are definitely swinging for home runs. Uh, a lot of these teams we play, they're uh, – getting bigger, stronger, and uh, so it's about just, just uh, you know, really just using the ballpark here in Oakland. Um, just kind of, hey, hit it as far as you can, but I'm going to make it tough on you, and uh, usually we got guys, uh, you know, it's definitely with this team, we, we got a lot of great, great uh, infielders and outfielders, so I'm just letting them work behind me and, and um, you know, just throw a bunch of strikes. I, I mean, my, my thing is throw a bunch of strikes, get, get them to start swinging, then try to expand the zone, and then just you know, like I said, use my defenders. Yeah, you have a great defense behind you. Talk about how, especially on, like, the left side of the infield, your defense is second to none. And, of course, the first baseman also was a goal glover. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a – I've just personally seen a huge change from uh, from Marcus Simeon. Uh, playing here, 
past couple of years and then, um, you know, getting traded here last year and playing with him for the two months last year and then also uh, a couple months here this year. So I've just seen a huge change from him. He's, he's growing as a player, uh, getting better, better every day. Um, and obviously Chapman coming in here and, you know, his first first full year winning a gold glove and, and platinum glove and all these other gloves. And <laughs> just I, I literally I, I tell these guys, hey, you know, whenever I'm in a jam, just just pull the ball to third base. And, um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll live with that any day. And then also on the other side, um, you know, with Olsen over there, um, you know, making making some of these play these tough plays look easy, um, you know, saving the guys on the other side of the field if they make a, you know, maybe not the perfect throw and he, he's there to, you know, scoop it or, you know, lose, use his long range to grab the ball up in the air. And, um, you know, he does amazing things over there at first base to uh, really help everybody out there. So it's, it's great to have that as a defense. So that's why I just, you know, when I'm pitching, I just want them to hit the ball uh, at these guys and have them make plays. You've played with a lot of great players, and you've played against a lot of great players. Have you ever seen anybody play third base like Matt Chapman? Man, I, it's, I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough, man. Um, I've played, um, you know, my years in Houston, uh, you know, playing with, with Bregman. And uh, actually, Jed Lowry was over there my first year in 2015. Uh, but I think the way Chapman plays, uh, you know, he's – He's just a tick. He's a tick, be you know, above everybody else. I think, uh, you know, just with everything. I think he's a full, well-rounded player. I mean, dives after everything, puts his body on the line, and then his arm is definitely one of the tops in the league. And um, and then definitely at the plate. I mean, he does everything right. Uh, you know, as a as a pitcher, you want a guy like that behind you. Talk about Frankie Montas and the growth you have seen from him. Oh man, he's. Uh, I mean. All-star pitcher. He's a, he's an all-star. He should be this year. A uh, guy that's um, you know figured out one more pitch. Uh, you know this past off-season and he's using it the the splitter. And um, man, I think it's took his game from you know good to great. And you know I don't I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. A uh, guy that throws that hard with that much movement and then the off-speed pitches to you know keep down in the zone and then also you know just being smarter. You know he's a young kid. Um, so he's still learning, but he, he's he's developing that, that mental side where, you know, he's not just giving in to these guys. He, he's making it tough. He's uh, making, you know, great pitches in big situations, and, you know, he's pitching with the confidence that, that he has right now. And, um, you know, like I said, he's, a, he's an all-star pitcher. I love being around him. I love, you know, playing catch with him and, and joking around with him. He's a great person as well. And, um, you know, there's he's got, he's got a lot of uh, – Great pitching years ahead of them. Well, you're a leader and a rock of this rotation, and good luck on Saturday. Good luck in this series, and thank you for uh, stopping by and go get uh, go get some food and rest up and get ready for tonight. <laughs> All right, thank you. Well, I have said this for many, many years. One of my favorite A's to cover all time is the great Dallas Braden, who is going to be doing TV for this series on NBC Sports California with Glenn Kuyper. And let's start out with this. How about our Red Raiders in the College World Series? I'll let you on. I'll let you on the bandwagon. I'm on. I'll let you on. The Texas Tech University Red Raiders. That's right. Storming over the Seminoles. I'll, I'll take a few moments just to say congratulations to Coach Mike Martin. A tremendous career. Yes. Very story. He laid the foundation there at FSU for what they have come to know and love as a very storied baseball program. But quickly shifting gears to Tim Tadlock's Texas Tech Red Raider. Here we go. 
We've got an opportunity now to bite Michigan right back in the butt after they bit a chunk out of us. I'm excited. I love how Texas Tech, when they hit home runs, the bullpen is just going nuts, you know, they, guns up. They love it. And then the guy crosses home plate, and oh, he yes. takes the helmet and salutes the bullpen. It's amazing. It is. I mean, we're talking about the Texas Tech hecklers, right? A, a group of fans who travel in droves. Look, playing there, Townie, was incredible. Friday night, these fans are there early. They've got your entire bio memorized. So come Friday night, first pitch, if you're the opposing team, and if you have – if you got a C in woodworking in the seventh grade, they're going to let you know about it, and everybody's going to know about it. It's a it's an incredible environment. So I, I years ago I was I was at Oklahoma, and Cliff Cliff Kingsbury was the quarterback. That's now right. the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, That's but he right. was the quarterback at Texas Tech, number sixteen. And they were uh, it was it was basically whoever won this game in Norman was going to the Big Twelve championship game. And I'll never forget, I was, you know, I was going over the media section. I was sneaking a bunch of Crown Royal. We're going to be on the sidelines. It was awesome. And all of a sudden, two buses pull up, and it's all Texas Tech people. And all of a sudden, this guy goes, get your guns up. And next thing you know, all these people are acting like they're shooting guns in the air. I'm like, oh, yeah, we're in the Midwest, baby. Everybody in everybody in the Big 12 has some type of, you know, we know the hook them horns. Oh, yeah, hook them horns. Everybody's got something. Gig them ags. Oh, yeah, they, every, everybody's excited. That's the thing about college sports, and I think specifically in those bigger conferences, everybody has a reason to get riled up. Everybody's passionate about it. I mean, because let's be honest, at the end of the day, you've got a group of, elite athletes that are mixed in with some folks that are probably going to be insurance salesmen or who knows they may be curing cancer which i love to hear but at the end of the day it's athletes and it's average joes really blended together at the last moment before the athletes continue their careers and other folks shift on into life so what we're doing here is we're the only team in baseball who has this right you know that and and i think about how we're always starting new stuff and we can take that to you and taking an ex-player, putting him down near the dugout and being on television and being able to see like the Dodgers have now copied it with no more Garcia Parra. I don't know how many other teams have copied it, but we're always starting new stuff here. And you were the start of something new on television. Well, that's pretty cool. And and I think one thing I want to one thing I want to let folks know is the people behind the scenes that make that machine go. They're the ones who, without a doubt, deserve their credit because you're talking about breaking down, setting up, and continuing to try to reinvent a wheel that seemingly has been rolling with, with, without any speed bumps. And they continue to try to find ways to make it better, to try to enhance the experience. And I'm just fortunate enough to have been in the right place at the right time. I talk a lot about what Glenn and Ray have done for me in terms of helping me grow in that role. Tonight I'll spend time in the booth, so I've been able to, to really see this game from a lot of different aspects. But to your point, getting down here behind home plate, what it's afforded me is to see and hear the game and deliver those sights and sounds in a fashion that I don't think any other broadcast has the ability to do. And I think that's where A's fans and the folks who are in charge of putting this thing together really benefit. And I think for you, you're young enough that you either had some type of connection with some of the players 
or they still recognize you as a player versus let's say you were 60 years old right. and they'd be like, hey, who's this old man behind right by the dugout, right? Right, right. So they, they, they still know of you or you had some type of connection with them when you're in the big leagues, they were in the minor leagues. I think that's one of the big strengths for you. Well, it is, and, and, and the fact that I'm also, you know, the position I'm in, I'm also an ambassador to the organization. So aside from just being an announcer for NBC, as an ambassador to the organization, I find myself in situations where we're doing meet and greets or I'm hosting small events where I'm on a personal level with these players. And I do. I get to spend time with these guys away from the field. And that's part of that brotherhood that we share, part of that fraternal relationship that will never go away, that there's really there's not a wedge big enough to drive in between, I think, that kind of relationship so they understand that what's said to me the things that we share the things we engage in that stays between us as former and current player I just am allowed to kind of paint things in a little different picture because of those relationships that they allow me to have see there is the difference between a guy who played in the big leagues and a guy that didn't my title is senior producer he gets ambassador how much cooler is that he's an ambassador i'm just a guy who's producing things right but you are producing my yes. friend producing you are <laughs> so this season it, you know it's kind of crazy they have the same record right now as they did at this time nuts. last year nuts right okay and, and i don't know how why to though why is the question okay how about this and and i don't understand and i don't know how, how this is possible but if you go back to the early 2000s, so we're talking about a lot of different players. We're talking about di different managers, different coaches, different groups of players from your time to this time to Giambi. And to Why does this franchise always start out slow? <laughs> it has for, I mean, it's now, what? I mean, it's, it's, it's 19 years of starting out slow. What, what, what's the deal? Right, and there's, it's funny because you hear June swoon, right? And a lot of teams fall victim to that at times but i i don't know if it's at times i've i've wanted to blame it on spring training because you just never you know you, you're ready to get the hell out of spring training the minute it starts it seems like but also there's a part of you that kind of gets used to spring training you're enjoying spring training as a pitcher i was anyway because heck i'm only working every five days i'm get to enjoy a lot of golf courses a lot of fine dining a lot of great things to do in the evening if you will townie yes but then you get here to oakland and well, that that changes that, that that changes and that goes not just for anywhere or that goes for anywhere not just here in oakland but i i don't know if it's something specific because think about the rotation got off to a tremendous start this season right got off to a hot start what was a a perceived weakness last year was part of the rotation how are we going to patch this thing together so the bullpen emerges as the lead stallion in the clubhouse this is the horse that's going to that we're going to ride to to where we need to get to and things have completely flip-flopped if you think about it up until this point right now there's some guys who you've really relied on that haven't been who they were last year so it's really been again a total team effort just in a different way talk about how every team you ever played on has a different DNA because so much of, hey, look at last year, last year. Well, last year was last year. This right. year is this year. Right. It's about I, – I, you have to think about veteran, young guy mix. And for me, 
I was on teams that had Hall of Famers that were rounding third, guys like Nomar that you mentioned, a guy like Frank Thomas, a guy like Mike Piazza. You know, I had those kind of guys kicking around the clubhouse at times. And and then you look at this clubhouse and you think about, okay, Yusmero Petit, a veteran, Soria, a veteran. There's some guys like that around, but there's also there's a, a very young and exciting and invigorating nucleus here. And I think that's what you try to identify is who are the guys that you, you you can consider glue guys or who are the guys that are creating the culture in the clubhouse. And those individuals change. That atmosphere changes from time to time. So the DNA of a team, one year, we think about the big three in the early 2000s, right? The DNA of that team is an exciting young position group, but we understand what's putting butts in the seats. And it's those big sexy three, right? That's kind of the DNA of that club. And things shift just based on personnel, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the DNA of this club is definitely different. He mentioned the bullpen. And, you know, they have 16 losses. They only had 17 all last year. And that's another thing that's very tough to judge. And, and you would have experienced in your time and you're experiencing it now is year to year the bullpens are different. Well, and I think right now in baseball, what we're experiencing is, I don't know if it's necessarily an experimentation on how to d- deploy arms, but we're going to see it throughout this series. And unconventional, if you will, I, I think we're actually beyond considering the opener unconventional because it is, in the Tampa Bay Rays' mind, a method that has been tried and true. They are a winning ball club when deploying this method. And I think that goes across baseball, how arms are being used, is changing people are trying to analyze and evaluate individuals who can do things differently than i think relievers have really done in the past you go back to the 60s and 70s and 80s and those bullpen guys we're we're getting two or three out of you right you're closing ball games that's going to be a three any count i'm going to need nine outs out of you you look at a reliever today and ask him for nine outs and, and well you're talking to an opener probably and and that's just that's the way this game is shifting can you imagine coming up and it was Dallas just get us five just get us five. Oh, oh I mean just five Dallas that's and, all we need and, and Tony, look I'm not somebody that that is going to talk like I was going out there and giving you eight nine strong every time I took the mound that was definitely the mindset right so that is something that has probably shifted today than than how it was years ago where your mindset was I need to go nine, and it needs to be stellar. It needs to be sparkling, and I'll work backwards from there. Today, they're telling you or asking you, you know what, hey, look, pedal to the metal. If you can get us to that bridge, I think we're going to be okay. We're going to be all right. And it's like, so get us to the bridge? You're talking about like the six, seven, eight guys? That's who. That's all you need out of me? Outstanding. But it's a lot easier said than done, my friend, because this is still the big leagues. You still got to get outs, and the talent level continues to rise. As hard as these guys are throwing, those boys in the box, they are barreling it up as well. Balls are flying out of the park at a ridiculous rate. Hashtag check the balls. Um, so this game is not easy. You want another one? Hashtag check the bat. And you know who brought that up? Your old pitching coach, Scott Emerson. So he was on the program, and when I was asking about the balls, he goes, check the he, – he wants me. So he goes, I want you. He's giving me a homework assignment. Sure. We're trying to get somebody from Louisville Slugger. He's saying the maple bats and the ash bats are harder than ever before. So now you got velocity meets juice ball meets juice bat, record home runs. So so we're getting I, – I, I just – I can't get angry at guys for getting good wood. 
I can't do that. If you if your company is going to bat for you and they're giving you the finest grain in the land, I'm supposed to be mad at that. I can't, there's not much I can do about that. And what that. are they dipping those bats in? I mean, it, uh, it's not only what they're dipping them in, but how many times they're <laughs> dipping them in it. You know, I mean, we're talking about quintuple-dipped lacquered bats here. I mean, we don't see a lot of broken bats anymore. Uh, I, they're breaking differently, but that was all part of, you know, the dot on the the dot on the handle, making sure that the quality of wood that these guys are getting isn't something where Tyler Colvin has to worry about coming down the third baseline and catching a 34-32 in the chest again because that was ugly. I was watching that ball game. You remember that? Mm-hmm. He's coming down third base, broken bat, whoop, impales him. I don't, I don't, I don't need to see that. I don't need to see that. Did you ever uh, kiss and make up with a Rod? Who? The guy marrying J Lo? <clears throat> no. <clears throat> Get off my mound. Mm-hmm. That was one of the funniest things. <laughs> Get, no one knew what the hell you're talking about. You're like, what's he talking about? <laughs> Who's this guy yelling at? What, what is he yelling about? Why is he talking still? That was pretty much the uh, the the reception until until the story comes out and people start to you know they they understand they gather. But look, the opinion's been made uh, probably about me and probably about him already. Well, because at one point you're both at ESPN. Um. No, no, we actually we never crossed oh, okay. we never crossed paths. That was I was out and I think he was in right after that. And I yeah. think about you doing the studio. I really liked is that something you think you would want to get back to or are you out now more morphing into what we got going here? Yeah, I, I love what we have going here. I mean I'm I'm afforded the opportunity with NBC Sports California to do studio work, to do pre and post game work as well. I love that. I love because it's seeing the game in a different way. You're breaking the game down differently as opposed to sort of analyzing it and kneading it like dough throughout the game, you know, because you're given a blank slate before the first pitch, and now it's up to the athletes to bake it, and you're just pretty much going to tell the people how it's going, right? Well, they've digested the ball game in a post-game atmosphere, and you can now give some insight as to maybe what was going on or what they were thinking, how to go about things differently next time. So there's a lot of different avenues you can travel. And the bottom line is when we're doing this, it's far better and more fun when you're winning versus like what we saw with the Orioles. I, I, I'm looking at that, and we had Sig Meidel, their assistant GM. He came over from. He's one of these worked at NASA. He's one of these guys, right? He came over with the Astros, uh, with Elias, their GM. And I'm just looking, going, okay, you're not, you're not full on young. You still got a bunch of guys making money, but yet you, you're thinking about being a total rebuild. And I, 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 can you imagine working around the ball? T- I, we had Jim Palmer down here, the Hall of Famer. And right. He's scratching his head. Can you right. imagine Jim Palmer right. looking at this garbage that they're doing? Don't, I don't even – there's some teams, I don't even know what direction they're going in. Well, and I think that's, that's part of where we're at in this game is how guys are starting to evaluate players and how they are starting to think about their future. So instead of spending the money to quasi-compete year after year, they're thinking about taking a five-year back seat to trying to stock the coffers and put themselves in a better position, not only financially, but resourcefully by tagging some guys in the draft and maybe in free agency that can help them towards their future. But it's 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 just a very weird time in baseball when you think about over 50% of the teams out of the, out of the race by the break. Maybe more than that. Yeah, I had an article... I had an article over here that was on uh, MLB.com yesterday about who's in, who's out, and then they had the list of the guys, the list of the teams that are out, and there were still they had nine teams. So basically, the the article is 
where nine up-in-the-air teams may land by the deadline. So 14 teams in it. Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, Cleveland, Colorado, Houston, Los Angeles Dodgers, Milwaukee, Minnesota, Yankees, A's, Phillies, St. Louis, Tampa. So that's 14 teams in it. Seven teams, no chance. Not even close. Dumpster fires. That's Baltimore, Detroit, Kansas City, Miami, San Francisco, Seattle, Toronto. That leads nine teams. Some of these teams are over 500, and they're talking about Shutting it down. Eh, right. Eh. So that's Arizona, Chicago White Sox, Cincinnati Reds, Los Angeles Angels, well, you the can be, Mets Tony, and Pirates. Tony, you can be over 500, but if you're over 500 and you're, what, eight back or nine back, they're thinking and their mindset, I think, at this point is, well, cool, we're over 500, but how close are we really to where we ultimately want to be? And if it's going to cost me more money to finish second, uh, I think we're out on that. And that's... That's, I think, become the prevailing thought, is unless we look like we're ready to compete from the first pitch of the season and we are doing so, we're okay with backing out of this thing unless somebody's just going to give it to us. That's how I think teams are approaching things. Yeah, nobody is going to, you know, we've seen in sports in history, teams catch lightning in a bottle and win a championship when people thought they had no chance. Mm -hmm. We're not going to see that anymore if everybody is like, you know, let's see, 75 games in, uh, we're 500. Uh, yeah, we're backing out. Right. It's kind of like telling yourself as a little kid <clears throat> before you go in for dinner, you're going to sink these 10 free throws, and then you'll go in. But I'm not leaving this court until I nail all 10 of these. And you nail the first two, and then you miss that one, and you're like, oh, i got to start over. I, I, I'm going to start. Uh, you know what? I missed that first. Oh, that didn't count. That didn't count. Or then you get to eight, and you're like, oh, well, that was close enough. And you just accept it. You just back off. It's like you can't You can't do that. You can't do that at the big league level. I don't think so. And luckily, the A's never do that. And now the A's will go through stretches, went through a stretch where they finished in last place three straight years. But then, then comes 97 wins. So right. the A's never go into full tank mode. And I totally respect that as they can potentially win and rebuild. And I think about the future – I mean, this future, when you start talking about Lazardo and you start talking about Puck and you start talking about Mania coming back, Frankie Montas is blossoming in front of our eyes. What this rotation could look like, you could have three fireballing left-handers in the same rotation. Well, think about what the end of the year could potentially look like or even sooner when you talk about acquisitions at the deadline that are impactful. This team could potentially sit still and receive three huge shots in the arm from the left arm, right? I mean, that's big time to think that an A.J. Puck could very well potentially find himself in the big leagues by the end of the year next to a Jesus Lazardo, next to a resurgent Sean Manaya. That is ridiculous to think about. Yeah, and, and right now I try and caution people, and you'll know this because you played with guys who went through it, is when you have Tommy John surgery, that's different from Jesus. Once Jesus Lazardo is ready to go, go, he's going to be up here. With Tommy John, once you have the surgery, there is a plan. There are benchmarks. There are right? protocols that have to be hit. And it's 12. They Now they want it more than 12. It used to be 12 months. They want it more than 12 months. Some oh, yeah. guys 14. Mm-hmm. Talk about that because I have fans all the time go, hey, he's throwing 98 miles an hour at Stockton. Why is well, he not here? Well, I know certain organizations, and I'm not going to name them, but there's certain organizations that have put an 18-month timetable on it. Like, you're not, you're just not going to see the light of day again until at least 18 months have passed. And that's just because they tell you, if you're feeling good, give it another two weeks. Because as good as you feel right now, you'll get out there, you'll ramp it up. You're probably not in a position to rebound. 
your body's probably not in a position to handle the torque you might be able to create, but your ability to recover just might not be there yet. So that's why they have to make sure that after a certain point in time, oh, he feels great. Does he? Because we know from history that this is probably a time period where a dead arm phase could arise or guys start to lose velocity and they don't know why and now they start to adjust or try to adjust and put themselves in a worse position and god forbid find themselves back at square one so that's why for a guy like puck you have to make sure he's hitting these benchmarks because you're thinking about this young man's future you're not thinking about august september of 2019 if you can be the person that figures out how to keep these guys from having the rotator cuff problems or the Tommy John surgery, whoever this doctor trainer is who can figure this out and have the right pro is going to make a boatload of money. Oh, are you kidding me? He's, he, he, he or she has reinvented water, my friend. That's exactly <laughs> what happens. Well, this is kind of like a uh, this is kind of like batting practice for you, warming you up for tonight. Some soft toss, just a little tea work with Uncle Tony. Hey, anytime you want to stop by, the invitation is there, and I know I've talked to Matt Pearl, our boss over there, about having you come on doing shows with me. Hey, I'm here, Tony. You know it, brother. And the bottom line is we could even hook you up when you're down in L.A. I'm here, brother. You know it. You, I mean, this is the thing. It's like we're doing that when the when, when, when the team is on the road. Right. We're doing it from my house. I'm watching games as well, my friend. I'm, I'm watching games. I got nothing to do but watch television, watch A's baseball. Commander Cody lives over by me, and he's got like a three-minute commute over to my home studio. We oh, can yes. Just, we can dial you in and be ready to go. Oh, digital powwows all day. Let's do it. I mean, I'm, I couldn't be more excited for something like that. So, like Tony said, I'm, th- I'm behind the shark tank. It's literally a scooter ride away. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You are the best, my man. Let's rock. Thanks, Tony. Joining me is an absolute baseball legend who will be here to talk about the A's, how they created the Athletics African American Franchise 5 back in 2016, giving A's fans the opportunity to vote for the top five African American players in athletics history. And I'm looking at a guy who is one of the great A's of all time. Vita Blue. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm pretty traveling off all that good stuff. Uh, pretty flattering to be a part of that group, you know. Uh, hey, man, I grew up in Oakland. I was 20 years old when I first came out here, and uh, um, I'm almost 70, so. <laughs> but uh, this is this, – I have selfish reasons for liking this place, uh, even though it's the last or the only remaining multi-purpose stadium in pro sports. Uh, it means a lot to me to be in Oakland Coliseum. Is it called Oakland Coliseum? Yeah, now? we're Oakland Coliseum. We're good. <laughs> hey, not only did you, not only did you, not only did you grow up here, you became a star here. I mean, uh, what you did being a MVP and a Cy Young, and you're on what magazine? You're on the cover of every magazine. <laughs> All right, you want me to rattle them off for you, yes. Chris? No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, I tell you, man, to uh, to have the stuff happen to me that happened is pretty cool. Uh, I wish every athlete could experience being at the top of your game like that, male or female, pro amateur, pro or amateur, just to be, you know, what they call it now, you're in the zone, and I got to experience that in uh, in 1971 with with the with the help of a, of a great supporting cast of uh, the Reggie Jacksons of the world and the Joe Rudys and Sal Bandos and Gene Tennyses and Bert Campanarises. And uh, we had a pretty good run, I'd say, to win uh, <clears throat> excuse me, five divisional titles and three championships in between that and to be one of only two different teams to, well, two different franchises to go three in a row. I know the Yankees did it. They won five 
in a row at one time, but to be on a team that won three in a row, just think about it, man. I was in the World Series when I was 22, 23, and 24 years old, so that was pretty cool. That was uh, Who would have thunk it that a kid from, listen now, beautiful Mansfield, Louisiana, <laughs> would have the success I had. And uh, I put a lot of work into being a, a, a professional baseball player, and I had some guys that guided me along, guys like Mudcat Grant and the Tommy Davis, who made his name as a L.A. Dodger. But uh, they were on the A's team when I came up, and uh, they taught me about being a professional and being a major leaguer, like I said, and dealing with the press and the media. So I have all those people and guys that think that uh, helped me along the way to uh, to uh, uh, have the career that I did have, you know, on and off the field. I am so happy that your teams, and it seems it happened later on, but you guys, because of books, because of the MLB Network, and because of this new regime, your teams finally got their due as arguably one of the great teams of all time. Well, you know, I heard a, I heard a, a guy who I give a lot of respect to, Jim Palmer, said when they rated the top 20 teams, I think the Cincinnati Reds were rated ahead of us. And I heard him in an interview said that the A's team should have been should be rated ahead of the Cincinnati. We beat them. How can that be? That's like uh, that's like Auburn. No, I'm gonna use LSU since I'm losing. That's like LSU <laughs> beating Alabama, and Bama's still rated the hell of LSU. You know you can't do that. If you beat them, they gotta take the back seat. You know what I mean, Cody? Is it Cody? All right, right on, man. I gotta give you some pub, brother. Come on. It's Commander Cody, my producer. That's we- how he got shit done, man. Oh, excuse me. It's all right. Stuff done. We're oh. not. We're not on regular radio. We're good. <laughs> it's just a little slip. It's okay. You're three-time World Series champion. Yeah, You're good. but I'm, I try to be professional, man. And uh, my four daughters will be at home. Like, Dad, you got potty mouth. <laughs> it's not my daughters. It's my four granddaughters that's going to be on my case. Look, hold up. Time out. I see Mr. Johnny Lee Blue Moon Odom walking into the house. You know he's from Georgia and I'm from Louisiana, so don't ever confuse us for that, okay? <laughs> What is it like when you get around all your old teammates? Man, we go after each other just like it was yesterday. <laughs> uh, I did some stuff with him in spring training, and uh, we had a hoot. He was he was trying to sell us as the Blues brothers, you know. <laughs> you know, he goes to every game when the A's go play the uh, Angels of Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. He goes to every game. What's up, Mooney? Oh, yeah, he's right by the yeah, dugout. We yeah. see him on TV every, yeah. every single game. Does he be wearing his colors? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Mooney? What's going on, sir? Always great to see teammates. Good to see you again. How you doing? You remember Chris Townsend? Yeah, we yeah, played a little okay. golf together at one point. Oh, uh, uh, uh. What are we going We're just going to talk a little baseball. Ham and egg in it, man. Ham and egg in it. That's all. How you doing, Mooney? Pretty good so far. Pretty good so far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blues brothers. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> welcome, welcome to Oakland for the on a Friday. What's the date? No, Thursday, right? Thursday, Thursday. yeah. On a four-game series. Thursday. These guys played the Yankees yesterday and really? flew across country. Really? Remember when we used to do that, man? Oh man! I don't know how we did that. Well, we was young, crazy. Young, dumb, and, and crazy. Dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But it's when it's your job, you you look forward to it. But the, the, the monotonous of, of traveling all the time, you 
you know, I used to have to wake wake up every morning sometime. What city am I in? I have to look at the itinerary and say, we're not in Milwaukee again, are we? <laughs> not to, well, not to well, against Milwaukee. Well, well, we hope not. <laughs> yeah, 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 you hope not. Well, Cleveland? I, I, I got to say, I just left <clears throat> Milwaukee. Really? Yeah, I was up there for the Negro League. Really? Yeah, I played in the Negro League back in 62 and 63. No kidding. You didn't know that, huh? I did not. Yeah, yeah. Look at you. Yeah, they honor me there. I'm on a wall of fame now. No way. Yeah. All right, right on, man. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll tell you something that I I did when I was uh, with the Raiders in Kansas City. I had to go. I, I made sure I went over to the Negro League Museum. Oh, yeah. And I'll never uh-huh. forget. So I'm I'm in one of I'm in front of one of the displays, and all of a sudden I hear these two voices of these two guys that I know. I'm in Kansas City, and I'm uh-huh. sitting there going, "That's Vita Blue and Marty Lurie." <laughs> and I texted. I texted. I, I, I right. texted him, uh-huh. and, and you guys were narrating the history of the Negro League, and there's this little theater, and the, and I'm like, wow, that was incredible. Yeah, yeah, I've gone to that thing. Uh, you know, Buck O'Neill scouted me when I was in high school in Louisiana. Uh, Louisiana was part of his territory, and uh, he came to see me play one time, and uh, I've heard him talk and tell some of the great stories that he talks about being Satchel Page's roommate at one time. And... Uh, Personally, I think Mr. O'Neill should have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. It's, it's not too late, but I was hoping that it would have happened before he passed away. But uh, that's just my own personal uh, feelings about him as a person, and, and he's a great man and did a lot for the game. But he got some great stories about Satchel Page. I know that. Even hey, a show uh, like this, we can't repeat it. But, uh. <laughs> well, speaking of Satchel Page, you know, Satchel Page played Play- with me. Instead of me playing what? with Satchel Page in ah. 1965 in Kansas City. Mr. Finley put him on the team? Yes, he did uh, in order for him to get his pension. Right, okay, I, I, I do remember that, okay. His, and the first game he pitched uh, was against Boston Red Sox, and he threw three innings, and the only hit was off him was uh, Carja Scrimps, uh, off opposite field double. Really? Off the wall. That was the only hit that you uh, saw. Got. I saw it. Satchel Page pitch? Yes, I did. On the, and he was a teammate of yes, yours. Yes, right. Yeah, okay, I got That's it. Right. Okay. That's he, pretty he, cool. He, he could steal a pitch if he only gave it, giving up one hit. Yeah. His car just I, how was it at that time? Well, that I don't know. Okay, well, he, he probably <laughs> he would, have told, he would was, have told you the truth anyway, <laughs> wouldn't he? Yeah, he was older than me. That's all I can say. <laughs> so you got to experience the transition of going from Kansas City to here to Oakland. That's what true. was that like? Well, it was scary in a way because we, we was used to Kansas City. And uh, we never heard of Oakland, and uh, we didn't know what to expect <laughs> once we got here. And uh, it was a good thing that we plus California, got here. plus yeah. California, yeah. like the yeah. people are crazy yeah. out there, man. <laughs> yeah, and we start winning once we got here. You know, we we just couldn't stop winning. We thought no one could beat us. And you was on a team uh, at the time. Well, we were going to sit and play four games. We felt like we should win all four. Absolutely. Yeah. Two southern guys covering, coming to California. <laughs> <laughs> what possibly could go wrong? <clears throat> and, yeah. and Vita said it, you know, this stadium, what it means to you guys, the greatness that you guys had, the run that you guys had, and the World Series and all the great teams that you competed against and players. What a special – this place will always be a special home for you guys. It, it will. And uh, I kind of hate to see it 
go, you know, to see them move because uh, all your memories and stuff like that going to be gone from this stadium. And, uh, you know, we can only look back and uh, just think about what we used to do here. Well, the, the plan is to keep the field. Right, that's what I've been told. And what they will do is it'll they'll just have stands that go around, and they'll still play like high school games here, colleges can play. So this treasure of a field that has seen, you know, not just baseball. I mean, you guys remember how good the Raiders were back in the day. Oh, yeah. And some of the greatest players in the NFL, dating all the way back, have played on this field. So they will preserve this field where so many Hall of Famers in baseball and football have played. I think that's going to be very special. So your oh, guys' yeah. field will never go away to where yeah. a lot of the old ballparks, they just tore them down and those memories are gone. We built the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Well, were you? when did you get into the business, Chris? 1996. So did you ever see the stadium when it was open? You could see the uh, the Oakland Hills? My first game is when I came to play baseball at San Jose State. Really? And my first game was in 91, and it was the first time, because I grew up in San Diego. Okay. So I had never seen the New York Yankees. They were bad, but I had never seen the Yankee <laughs> uniform in person. Nice. So And this is still when the A's were rolling, right? right? They still had all the great stars. And I remember sitting out there in the bleacher seats. We snuck beer in. And I remember seeing. Oh, you did that. This was the first time I ever saw the New York Yankees. I'll never forget my first A's game. I, I, was, I, was, a, I was hooked to the American League game right away. And that's the thing about interleague play. And, like, I know people have said, you know, they don't like interleague play. I'm like, you got to realize for these kids, they don't. They get to see the other you, players. Like, think about that. Yeah. For National, <clears throat> if you never played in the National League, like Ray Fossey, never, he only played the National League when it was in the, the World uh, Series. Yeah. Now you get to play everywhere, which I think is great. Everybody gets to see guys like yourselves, world champions. So do you yeah. think, what do you like, DH in both leagues, or you yes. like it separate the way it is? I say this all the time because people say, oh, the right way to play is with the, is the, with the pitcher, pitcher hitting. hitting yeah. And I say this, at every <clears throat> single level in baseball, high school, college, minor leagues, everybody uses uh, the DH. DH. Yep. Now, if you're a really good hitting player, you know, maybe you can still hit. I mean, I know both you guys could hit. Uh, the last switch hitter ever to uh, win the MVP American in, in the League. American League is Thank Vita you. Blue. Well, that's good knowledge. Thank you, sir. Do you guys well, like the DH? Well, or? I, I really uh, didn't like it when I played because I was a pretty good hitter. I could have signed as an outfielder for the San Francisco Giants, but they had Willie Mays and all those guys over there. So <laughs> I decided I, I would go to, go to Kansas City as a pitcher. But uh, – I, I used to love to hit. You know, when you're pitching, uh, you, you pitch to get to the bat so you can hit and stuff like that. And one year I lucked out and had five home runs. And I don't know, having the stolen bases and stuff like that. But uh, that was a pretty good And you pinch ran a lot, right? But yeah, pinch ran. <clears throat> they used me only if it was like in the 15th inning and then I was the last active guy. <laughs> <laughs> get over there and just we'll, we'll tell you when to move, you know. <laughs> but, but what really scared me at one time, I think Dick Williams or somebody uh, told me get grab a bat, you know, and I pitched hit for a position player. And uh, you thought the players go uh, be pissed uh, off? But they could, <laughs> I guess they couldn't because <laughs> if he wanted me to pinch hit and everything, that meant he trusted me and he knew I could hit pretty good. So uh, 
and the players themselves, you know, <laughs> knew I could have signed as an outfielder, so it didn't bother them that much, I think. Well, you guys, you guys are absolute A's royalty. You guys are A's greatness, world champions. But they're telling me you guys got to go to a signing right now. So I could talk to you all day, and we could yeah. talk about A's and your championships, but they're saying I got to let you go. I just want to well, give another okay. shout-out to Cody. He was amazing. He was persistent. I said, you got to call Dietra Page. She's oh, the yeah. queen of the Coliseum. Oh, yeah. She got stuff done, man. Uh, you guys are the best. Thank you for coming out. It means uh, a lot to me. Last second okay, here, last minute. You. I can't ever get this guy to give me what his flicking uh, handicap is. Could well, he hit the ball? Well. well Did you say you played with him one time, right? Yeah, we played at the A's golf tournament. And he yes, claims he, he doesn't have an NCGA card. I'm like, I have dude, it's 100, I, I'll give you the $100 for the I, year. I have one, but. You just never post what, your score. What, what, what it says on my, on my card I have flat feet. That's my handicap. That kept you out of the military, too, didn't it? <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much. What an honor to have you here on okay. A's Class Live. Right. You're the best, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, Boomer. Right. Let's get a positive note going here. Stephen Piscotti is stopping by here on A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. How are we doing? Doing great. How are you? Uh, we're doing really good. And after last night's win, we were all fired up to talk about it. And I guess we, we'll have to address it because, you know, this is something that I dealt with in 2012 with Bartolo Colon when he was suspended. Uh, it's not easy to lose a teammate out of your clubhouse, and especially the guy who's arguably your best starter. What was the reaction there in the clubhouse when you heard about Frankie? I mean, obviously disappointment. Um, you know, in, in for all parties, you know, involved. Um, it's a tough, tough thing to hear. Um, you're not what you want to hear, um, but it is what it is. And um, you know, as a team, we got we got to carry on, keep going. Um, you know, we're wishing um, you know Frankie all the best, and hopefully he gets. Gets everything straightened out and, and gets back with the you know fresh clean slate and and uh, you know he's he's a dominant pitcher he he will continue to be um, and we're gonna miss him and it's gonna be too bad but we, we got to carry on yeah just like in 2012 the A's still went to the playoffs and you got to move on and it's a it's a next man up mentality and I know this for you guys as professional athletes. And I was just trying to tell the fans is, you know, whether you're in the NFL or Major League Baseball, they get a list. You get a list of everything that you can take. And, and tell us, you, you've been through this for many years in your career. You need to know what you can and cannot take and put in your body. Yeah, you know, it's important to be you know diligent about that. And um, there is a list. It's comprehensive. It's there's a lot on it. You know, I'll be honest. And uh, you know, the, the really only thing that can make you feel safe is if it's got that NSF certified um, label on it, which we all know. Um, you know, but it's it's tough. I mean, there's certain probiotics that I need that I've had to stop taking because the companies that produce them do not have NSF on it, and it's it's unfortunate. I got to find different ways, whether it's kombucha or other things, to to get it in my body. Um, I know that the probiotics are safe, but because there's not that label on there, I, I can't, you know, and and uh, I can't take it. I just know that, and so um, you know, it takes a, an extra step, but you got to just think about it and, and be smart and. And, uh, you know, it's really important, man. 80 games is a lot, and it's, it's a big deal. So, um, you know, hopefully it can serve as a lesson to all of us. A good friend of mine, PJ, is, is a part of when we all get checked, our skin gets checked here once a year. And I know I've, they've said, hey, there's some moles that you need to have looked at, you need to have removed. You had a melanoma on your ear. Good that it got caught. Take us through that process because it, it is scary. Yeah, no, it was a, definitely a – it spooked me a little bit. It was definitely a shock. Um, but I'd been screened – um, last year, you know, with the team, and then um, I have a lot of moles, and had been told for a while you should go get checked, go get checked. And I had one on my hip that was kind of irritated and bothering me, and I was like, you know what, I should probably go in and just 
it's probably nothing, but um, go, ch go get checked. And sure enough, I went in, and the one on my hip was totally fine, but they went ahead and looked at my whole body and found this one in my ear that I can't even see because it's on the back side. So looking in a mirror, I would never never been able to see it. And so thankfully, um, Dr. Chow was able to, to see it and had it biopsied and tested, came back positive, and they got it out as soon as they could and caught it at a very, very early stage, which is very encouraging. Yeah, that's no, no, no doubt good for you, and great to have you back. And the one thing that I've really noticed about you, you love hitting at the Oakland Coliseum. Your numbers at home. Tell me why why this place. I know you're back home, and that's great, but hitting here at the Coliseum, you're, you're just killing it here at the Coliseum. Yeah, it's it's been great here. Uh, pretty disappointing on the road for myself, but hopefully those, uh, those numbers will even out. I don't know. I felt like last year when I got here, I was having a little bit of a tough time picking up the ball. I don't know if it just took some getting used to, but I think I remember there was a stat last year where, you know, of the first 12 homers I hit, 11 of them were on the road. and um, It took me a while to get comfortable hitting here, and then all of a sudden it took off, and it's been that way ever since. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to be hitting here, but I, I wish I had a little bit more consistency on the road, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, and it, it, it's weird how it changes every year, right? I mean, some years you're better than others at home or on the road. It's just, it, why is that? I don't know. There's, there's not always a reason. You know, you look at the numbers and you think, oh, man, there must be something. But I think it's coincidence. I, it's a lot of it is timing, whether you're you know, feeling good at the plate and you have a homestand or you're not feeling so great and you leave on a trip. It, sometimes that's part of it. Um, I, I don't have any good answers for you. <laughs> it just is, is what it is. Take me through last night because I'm sitting up in the press box and I'm getting ready and I'm about to do the postgame show and I'm thinking this is like the worst loss. I mean, you, Frankie has an unbelievable start. You're thinking you're going to beat the Rays. Next thing you know, they score three. I'm thinking, oh, my God. And then and then before you know it, Matt Chapman, the walk-off. So it was yeah. like it was going to be like the worst loss of the year. All of a sudden turns into the best win of the year. Yeah, it was incredible. And that's what's special about this team is, you know, we're never down, whether it may appear that way or, um, you know, when the momentum shifts not in our favor. Um, you know, we still have confidence in ourselves. And we knew with, with a guy like uh, Castillo on the mound that kind of got a – He's got great stuff. He's got really good stuff. And you got to kind of wait him out, make sure he's throwing strikes. And, you know, Robbie had a good at bat there. Profar, great at bat. You know, I tried to battle, got to 3 2, fouled off a pitch. Um, we took really good at bats, and it just it worked out. And Chappie got a pitch that he could drive, and, and we did it. And, you know, as simple as that. I mean, when you get down like that and you're here, you might as well go for it. Might as well try. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's no reason to just uh, hang him up. So, um, yeah, it was a great win. You know, and, and, I, and I think about when you take on these guys, the Rays, and just saw them recently, and I was with you guys on the trip to, to the Trop, is you only play them twice, and you do know at the end you're going to be battling these guys probably for a wild card spot. Division is still there, yep. but there's a good chance. You guys think about that? I mean, we talk about it, but do you guys think about that going, hey, beating these guys now is very important for the end of the season? I mean, every, everyone's important. Um it's good. It's a great test when you play good teams like this and, and you come away with, you know, wins. And um, I don't know that – I mean, th this team that we're playing will probably look a little different, you know, come come playoff time. So um, it'll be good to get there, get some at-bats and, and, you know, see their guys a little bit. But we don't put too much stock into it, I guess is my point. And, um, you know, we look at the wild card and, you know, there, there seems to be four or five teams right in the mix there for, for that second spot. And – um, we know we're right there. That's kind of how it was last year. Then we got hot, and um, you know I think you know Chappie's homer last night. That was a huge momentum shift. Not only in that game, obviously to win it, but for the season. So I think hopefully that's something that we can uh, 
you know, carry on and, and, and keep rolling with. You know, we always talk about the strategy of the opener from a pitching standpoint. We never really talk about it from a hitter standpoint. So you know there's a possibility you could face one pitcher, and then the very next at-bat, you know for sure you're getting another. How do you prepare for the opener? Well, scouting reports are huge. You know, we've got video on each guy. Um, it doesn't change a whole lot other than kind of the setup and the and the timing of when you're going to face these guys. Um, you know, we go in and, and look at everyone, so it's just a matter of when you face them. Um, you know, I think from a numbers perspective in the front offices, you know, they're looking at it and there's – there must be a clear-cut advantage to, to why they're doing it. Um, but as a hitter, it doesn't change, you know, a whole lot of what we're doing. And thankfully so because, you know, we don't want to be changing, you know, our game plan or our, our preparation um, just because they're kind of messing around with that stuff. And I know we do it too, but it's it's so irregular that you got to focus on what you can control, and that's just our preparation day to day. You got a dog coming tonight? My brother does. He just got one last night. <laughs> I don't know if he got it for today or what, but he does. He, he bought a puppy last night and bring got, it to the he, game? He got a uh, – I think it's a French bulldog mix with something, one-year rescue. I don't know. I, I got a couple pictures. I'm excited to meet the dog, but uh, he's been waiting his whole life to get one, so it's pretty – Pretty happy for him. That's classic. Hey, thank you very, yep, you very much it. for stopping oh, by. Cool. Have, have a good, have a good right. win tonight. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.